Hello, everybody. This is a Penn State football podcast brought to you by ForTheGloryOfOldState.com. I'm Craig Rosala, and I'm joined by my partner here, Brandon Musso. How are we doing today, Brandon? Doing good as always, my friend. We are recording this on Monday morning, Monday afternoon actually right now, and so we're a couple days removed from Penn State's Cotton Bowl victory over the Memphis Tigers. Penn State won the game 53-39. to They secured their third 11-win season in four seasons and also their second straight New Year's Six Bowl victory. They also won the 2017 Fiesta Bowl, and now this year they won the 2019 Cotton Bowl. Very entertaining game. Obviously, a score of 53-39, a lot of points. The big winners of the day were people that were taking the over in in this game. As, you know, the Cotton Bowl was in Big uh, Big 12 country in Dallas, obviously, in Jerry World. And the game kind of played out that way. It, was, it had a Big 12 type of feel where every time each team got the ball, there was a chance of scoring. And it was a fun game to watch, and I'm glad that, you know, Penn State obviously came out on top. Yeah, a Big 12 game is definitely a... A perfect way to describe how that game went because you know we see, saw the Penn State defense all year was a pretty good defense. Like I mean, they that, that was better than they've been in the past couple of years, and they just came out in this game and <laughs> gave up thirty nine points. Like yeah, I mean it was just very uncharacteristic. So it was nice to see the, the offense kind of cover their cover them. And you know what? It should have been a lot more points. Honestly, um, you know, Memphis was driving most of the game. And they would get into the red zone, and they would have a little bit of struggles, whether it was a penalty, a sack, a tackle for loss. And credit goes to the Penn State defense there. But then Penn, or Memphis had to settle for field goals, which obviously is not a, a good strategy to win. Right. If Memphis won, their kicker, Riley Ferguson, would have been the MVP, no doubt about it. Oh, he was a big winner, too. Yes, yes, especially if he's looking to get signed or get drafted in the NFL. Uh, the first-team American conference kicker, he put on a show – on Saturday, but we'll get to him a little bit more later. Um, what we're going to do today is, you know, obviously Penn State won the game. We're going to get to some of the winners and losers from the Cotton Bowl outside of Penn State winning and Memphis losing. Um, some individual performances. There were some very, very special performances in that game. And then also some losers in the game, some guys that might have underperformed or things we were disappointed in as well. So, Brian, I'm going to kick it to you for our first winner of the 2019 Cotton Bowl. Who do you have? Yeah, I'm going to go with the most obvious pick for this one, and that's the run game. The Penn State run game was just unbelievable. Yes. Um, set a record for Penn State bowl game, uh, total rushing yards in a Penn State bowl game. Um, and obviously, Journey Brown had himself an absolute monster day, um, over 200 yards on the ground. Um, I think, I mean, if you're going to pick a winner, I think that's just the, the no-brainer right there because that was obviously the biggest storyline of the game was definitely how good the Penn State rushing attack looked. I think the the Lawn Boys gained their identity back. We talked about that on one of our past podcasts where, you know, what what were the Lawn Boys after the first couple weeks of the season? And they had a true identity, all four of them. Oh, yeah. Even Devin Ford, he only had two carries, but he, he found the end zone. Uh, you mentioned you know setting a Penn State record for a bowl game in rushing yards. Journey Brown set his own individual uh, Penn State bowl game rushing record with the 202 yards. He had found the end zone twice. It seemed like he was gashing the, the Memphis defense for a big play every drive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very fun to watch. Noah Kane, he made his return. Finally and, got to see him. Yeah. Got Penn State fans <laughs> had to love that. 15 carries, 92 yards, two touchdowns. I think a lot of it has to go to the offensive line. You could see, you know, we talked about the Power Five and the Group of Five. Penn State 
offensive line looked a lot bigger than the Memphis defensive line, and vice versa. The Penn State defensive line looked a lot better than the Memphis offensive line, and it really showed up in the Penn State running game and also in the Memphis running game and the way they struggled. Right. So I thought it was you know huge day for the running backs, and they put on a show, and it's something that I think with all these guys being really high recruits that we kind of wanted to see all year, and it really came out that way in the Cotton Bowl on Saturday. And I will say, um, it just was very Brent Pry-like, the way they handled this game. Again, was, you know, you said the Memphis run de- or rushing attack kind of struggled, and that's kind of been Brent Pry's like, focus throughout the entire season, was we're going to stop the run, we're going to let you try and beat us through the pass. And, you know, that was kind of, they kind of <laughs> they kind of lived and died by that strategy yeah. all year. You know, they got beaten in the secondary pretty bad against Minnesota, but... Um, then again, like the rushing attack for most of their opposing teams really, really struggled. And again, going into the Cotton Bowl, we saw the same exact thing that they did all year. Yep. Now I'll move on. We mentioned the Penn State run defense. I'm going to move over to the Penn State defense. And there was one man that was wrecking havoc <laughs> from start to finish. Yep. He was the defensive player of the game, Micah Parsons. What a performance by Micah Parsons. The first team All-American had 15 total tackles. Three tackles for loss, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and it really should have been three because the one strip sack went down as an interception to Garrett Taylor, yeah. and that became a touchdown. It was a, it was a pick six. Right. But it really, I thought, should have been a scoop and score. Mm-hmm. He was incredible. And obviously we weren't, you know, we were born in 1996. We weren't really alive to see the, the LeVar Arrington days. But just from Penn State legend and watching videos of him, this performance was Arrington-like, and obviously Parsons wears the number 11. That's so legendary with Penn State linebackers. And, you know, in Arrington's 1998 season, he was an All-American. Parsons is the first sophomore All-American at Penn State since Arrington. And this kind of performance provides so much preseason hype for Mike Parsons going to 2020. He's a huge winner for this game, a special performance, but also the 2021 NFL Draft. These teams have to be licking their chops, thinking, wow, we're going to get one of the best players on the defensive side of the ball. And Parsons proved that all day long, making huge play after huge play. God knows where this Penn State defense would have been without him on Saturday. Yeah, he was all over the field. Every time the defense was out on on the field, you could just see 11. There's 11. Oh, there he is again. He was always always on the play. And uh, you talk about all the the, the great numbers that he had, and then – you think, wow, he could have added that pick six to his <laughs> yeah. resume. He had that ball in his hands, and he dro- unfortunately he dropped it. But uh, that would have been just another uh, icing on the cake, I guess, for the performance that he put on the field on the Cotton Bowl. I mean, we knew he was a special player, but this was this was prime time Micah Parsons. I, I had a great time watching him, you know, really, I guess, burst. People know about him, obviously. He was Big Ten linebacker of the year, but I think nationally he might be a little underlooked, especially with Chase Young being in the conference. Right. But Micah Parsons is proving that he's probably the top defensive player coming back in 2020, and I'm really, really excited to see him play after this Cotton Bowl. I'm, I'm, I'm amped up to watch him next year. I mean, he showed up big time <laughs> yeah. on the biggest stage they had all year right there. Yeah. The New Year's Six Bowl, he played it out of his mind. Yep. Now, going into some of our losers, who do you have as your first – I guess, loser from this game. Okay, so we just talked about the offensive line, right? I actually picked them as a loser. So, obviously, oh. you say, you know, they are a huge part of why the rushing attack was good. 
Um, but you could also say that they um, were facing a rather inferior rushing defense. That's fair. Um, but basically, I want to point out their, I don't know, their struggles in, in the, the like pass protection, I think, was, was yes. pretty poor for them all game. Um, particularly Will Fries really got beat up on the edge there. Um, and we saw him get beat up against Ohio State, too. But then again, you know, he... I don't know what their strategy is, but a lot of times you're like, wow, why like, why aren't they getting another, like, giving him help? Because, you know, he just, like, two mm-hmm. plays in a row, he got called for a holding call. Yep. Um, he just could not, he just could not block. And, you know, really throughout the entirety of the, like, well, most of the game, actually, they, they really just, like, Clifford was just really, like, he had to be really quick in the pocket, and they had to get quick passes. They, they really didn't take that many deep shots just because he didn't have like really any time and I thought that that really affected their ability to move the ball through the air but you know luckily the the, the run, run blocking game, yeah the run, the run game was good. was good enough to cover for that but I think that they really struggled it just looked it just looked like those defensive linemen were just better at getting to the quarterback they were faster and um, yeah. they, they just had a really hard time blocking them yeah I, I totally agree on that point where it seemed like the Memphis defensive linemen were just using their quickness to get. But right. Will Fries had, you know, you mentioned the two holding penalties in a row. He he took them right out of a drive there. Uh, that was that was tough to, to watch. And you know, it kind of segues into my loser, which was Sean Clifford. You know, we mentioned didn't have much time to throw all day, and he he looked he was very inaccurate, which we have not seen from yeah, him which I think, too much. Which I think was part of the fact that he didn't have really any time to, to yeah. even set his feet, and he was making a lot of throws off his back foot or, you know, when there's guys bearing down on him from the, you know, the blind side and, you know, right in front of his face. He just had a tough day in that sense. So I think that's kind of played into his inaccuracy. Absolutely. And I'll dive into some of the, the numbers on Clifford for this game. Uh, he went 11 of 20 for 133 yards. He had 28 yards rushing, which, you know, obviously he's not, that's not his, um, you know, calling card but you know you like to see a little bit more out of him especially on 13 carries he threw a touchdown he threw an interception and it just wasn't his best game um you don't know he seemed healthy going to the game obviously he missed the Rutgers game to finish the year and he missed the second half of the Ohio State game but he just wasn't himself that we saw earlier in the season and luckily he had the running game to kind of bail him out and other he just a couple missed interceptions by Memphis a couple really just inaccurate passes it it was it was tough to watch Sean Clifford play um but you know he did enough for the A Lions to come out with a victory which is always a a good sign and a good a good thing from your quarterback that he's able to work through those struggles and help the team in different ways moving on from our our two losers let's get back to some winners Who, who do you have all right so my second winner is the Penn State strength and conditioning team Oh boy. Um, okay, so we saw a lot. We saw a lot of big hits in trucks the other day, and it just showed how much bigger and more muscular Penn State was over Memphis. And that's that's a credit to the strength and conditioning team that really kind of pushes these guys and kind of knows how to um, how to build these guys up in the weight room. Um, we saw Fryermuth truck a couple of guys, um, and then we saw oh, Journey yeah. Brown's unbelievable run, uh, touchdown run, and that that's that's a credit to those guys who are. Uh, the guys behind the scenes working to get these players um, in game shape and, like I said, m- more muscular than Memphis. Yeah, and after a 12-game slate where, especially the last half of the schedule where they're playing ranked team after ranked team, it seemed like, 
and to have everybody look healthy, strong, and you know ready to go for another game. That was very impressive. You, you, that's a really good point that I kind of overlooked, but they they did look um, the part on the field on right. Saturday. That's a great point. Um, I'm going to go into a little bit more of a fun one too. How about that tackle by James Franklin? I Cam Brown. Cam Brown is six foot five, probably 230, 240 pounds. He is a big guy. He dumps the water cooler or the Gatorade cooler on James Franklin after the the victory, and Franklin just takes him right down. What a tackle! You know, we talked about form tackles. We talked about avoiding targeting. James Franklin, what a job that was! I was, I love that at the end of the game. That's that just goes to show how much. The players love Franklin. How much Franklin loves his guys. I I thought it was a great moment at the end of the game for James Franklin and the Penn State football program. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the, that's the point I kind of want to make about it. It was just nice to see like them laughing and having fun and you know like I said, Wickley, we kind of really like beat this to death. Is that people talking about the uh, the culture problems that people think that are that Franklin uh, has? But it's nice to see another guy like we talked about Friar Muth at the end of the season. And it's nice to see another guy come out outspoken. Not outspoken, but basically show how much like they love playing for him as a yep. coach and you know, the kind of fun and relationship they have with each other. Yeah, it was great to see. I I love moments like that. And so Cam Brown's a senior. He's been there five years. He's he's had a really good career at Penn State, and you know he's showing love for his coach that really helped him out. It was you know like a father figure away from home for five full seasons, and that that was just great to see. Right. I I was very happy to see that. You have another loser on your hands here? Uh, yeah, so I have uh, Tyler Bowen as my... Uh, really? I like. Obviously, you have to cut him some slack because it's his first game taking over the offense, basically. Uh, well, first and only game he's yeah. going to take over the offense. But, we'll get to that later, um, obviously. <laughs> but he... Uh, I just didn't like like the calls. Like it seemed like he like it just looked like a very rookie-like performance out of him, which is to be expected, but still like not the best you know it just seemed like i said clifford had no time in the pocket and i think that's when you try to like you know go to the run game a little bit more or get clifford out of the pocket and you know in the early goings especially the first couple drives that they had like he just seemed like he was very like he did not want to go near like at the run like they barely run ran the ball for the first couple drives that they um, that they had, and you could see that they were struggling. You know, he was throwing inaccurate passes, mm-hmm. and I just thought the play calling would, just wasn't good because, you know, you can see, you know, he's up in the box. Like, he should be able to see that, like, the offensive line is struggling. Clifford has no time. Like, do something more creative to get him out of the pocket or, you know, get, you know, run a stretch play or something, get the running game mm-hmm. going. He just seemed, like, so intent on going to the pass every time. And it just, to me, it just didn't make sense. And I thought that, like, he could have, uh, you know, been a little bit better. That's interesting um, that you mentioned that because you look at the yardage, you look at the points, you're like, wow, you know, great job. And I felt like even during the broadcast, there wasn't much credit given to Bowen. Obviously, they highlight him a little bit, but there wasn't the credit or the blame really given. And it's funny you mentioned Bowen's performances, 2017 Fiesta Bowl. It was like, wow, Ricky Ronnie had quite the game up in the booth mm-hmm. and uh you know some fans were disappointed in ronnie and you know obviously that doesn't really matter now because he's moved on to old dominion but uh i thought you know I, one thing i i hate and i say this a lot when penn state does this is they take the ball to start the game whether they defer and they che- they they choose to take 
the, the ball or they, they just that's they're forced into it by the other team winning the toss. Whatever it may be, I hate when the first drive they go three and out one yard total. Yeah. They they should have a plan. They should go out and execute, and obviously they didn't. And I I don't like that part of things. But you know I thought, you know Bowen did what he had to do. He saw a little bit of a weakness in the run game, especially in the second half of the game. He picked yeah, he it up. De- he definitely picked it up in going to the run. Um, but like as you, as you said, like those like that first drive that you just described, like mm-hmm. from, like just right from uh, the toss, like he did that probably the first. I don't know three series. I would say it was three and out. It was because there were mm-hmm. just like, short passing plays that Frank, uh, Clifford was missing uh, inaccuracies. Guys weren't open. He was getting sacked. It was just it didn't look. They looked like they didn't prepare for the game at all, and that's what kind of like made me kind of go to this as a loser. I got gotcha. you. Um, I'll move on to my loser, and it's somebody that I think was looking for a big performance in the Cotton Bowl. That's KJ Hamler, and some of it has to do with. You know, the offensive line struggles, Clifford struggles, but Hamler had a quiet day for his standards. He had two catches for 46 yards. He had a big 31-yard catch in the first half, and he had a couple rushing yards, but nothing, you know, really major in the game. You know, we're used to seeing K.J. Hamler have these huge, huge games, especially in the national spotlight. You know, you think of Ohio State in 2018, you think of Michigan this year in 2019, and he just didn't have that kind of game. And I think for somebody that's looking to raise his draft stock, you know, I look at the Chris Godwin game and the Rose Bowl and against USC, and it's like, yeah, he he had to declare after that. After this game, you know, I'm sure he's not basing it off one game, but his decision to leave is a little bit more, you know, up in the air, I think. And I think it's something that it would have made his decision a lot easier if he had a big game. And like I said, it's not totally his fault. You can't he can't throw himself the, the football. But, you know, it was it was a pretty quiet game from K.J. Hamler in, in that regard. Yeah, I think that's just, you know, that goes to, you know, the defense's credit, too. They kind of, um, and we saw this with Barkley, they kind of, when you see, like, the, the playmakers on a team like that, like, defenses work so hard to kind of take that, take that player away from you um, and see, like, try to test your other players. Like, can if we take Hamler away, like, who's going to step up? And they basically say, like, we're going to take Hamler, and we're going to let you beat us however else you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we saw that with Barkley down the stretch of his last year. You know, everyone was like, ooh, you know, big Heisman finalist. And, you know, the last, I don't know, four or five games of that season, he just, they, the, the teams were just game planning to stop him. And yes. he really struggled because they were con- concentrating so heavily on making sure that they didn't, that he didn't beat them. And that was really the same situation with Hamler was what, you know, he's a really really fast guy and a really big playmaker and a big part of Penn State's office and offense and I think that Memphis knew that going in obviously and went towards the strategy of you know trying to take him away yeah and you know that's the way it is (laughs) that's the way it is you have one more winner for uh this game I do have one more winner a small a small annoying thing that I always uh would it always annoyed me during bowl games is the way they paint, painted the end zone for Penn State, mm-hmm. <laughs> I hated the dark blue that they had always had in the Big Ten championship. Even even the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I, I don't like the way they paint the end zone like that. I was it was nice to see the Cotton Bowl people paint the end zone just like Beaver Stadium. I thought that was awesome. 
Um, I was very happy to see that. Just something stupid like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? They really had to because the Cowboys played at home on Sunday. <laughs> so doing that, you know, that turnover, they couldn't really do much with it. That Yeah, that's a funny point. I, I actually like the Rose Bowl. You know, you have the sidelines halfway painted blue. You have – I kind of like that. But it's just, I think this is part of being in the Rose Bowl, though, which, you know, I, it's a granddaddy of them all. Wish we were there. Yeah. Um, my winner, and it's not – from Penn State is Riley Ferguson. We we, we yeah. touched on him a little bit. He had six field goals, a long of 51, and none of his field goals were chip shots. His shortest one of the day was 37. Everything else was, you know, between 40, 50-something yards. He was incredible. He really was incredible. And he, unfortunately for Memphis, was, you know, the standout player because he had to keep coming on the field and salvaging three points for their, their drives when they're, you know, getting set back and, and it just not finishing the drives the way they wanted to, but he had a huge game. And if I'm a an NFL scout, I'm like, wow, this is he was a first team All Conference performer. This is a really special player. And Memphis has had success with NFL kickers in the past. And you look at Steven Gostowski from the New England Patriots. He's hurt this year, but he's been one of the best kickers in the NFL for the last decade and a half. And you know. NFL teams take a look at Riley Ferguson because he had a huge, huge game. Very consistent. He wasn't just making them by a little bit. He was destroying yeah. the football on like 51 yarders. I I was very impressed watching him. And I believe that 51 yarder, I want to say, was the Cotton Bowl record for the longest. Game. Yes, yes, you are absolutely correct. And it's also funny that Joe Lord, the Penn State special teams coordinator, was at Memphis prior to being at Penn State. So it's kind of a, I guess, a small world in that in that way. <laughs> But really good game from Riley Ferguson. Do you have any other losers? I have one more, but I'm not sure what you got. Um, I'm going to kick it to you. You kick it to me? Yeah. All right. Well, um, since you're passing on that, um, you know, the Memphis secondary also passed a ton on the Penn State or the Penn State or the Memphis quarterback. Uh, he, he passed a ton on the Penn State secondary. Yeah, State, I, I figured I'd give them a break this week, so yeah. I didn't mention them. Well, I just, <laughs> I just want to touch on it because, you know, they allowed 450 yards passing, and this was the type of style that we've seen Minnesota employ, Ohio State to a, a degree, but they spread everybody out. When they weren't running the football, they spread everybody out, five receivers, sometimes four receivers. They have the running back split out to the slot or split out wide, and it was like, all right, we're going to let our athletes kind of take over. We're going to spot some holes in the zone, see if we can get some man-to-man coverage, and try to win one-on-one matchups. And I thought Memphis did a really good job of doing that. John Reed, I thought, had a really good game. But at the same time, there was some, I know there was a missed um, a play by him where he just let his receiver go right past him <laughs> after, um, was it Brady White scrambled out? And, you know, Whatever it it all worked out in the end, you know. Obviously the the Garrett Taylor pick six kind of looks good in the the box score, and Marquise Wilson had a big big pick to really finish the game off, uh, which is a positive note. But yeah. the Penn State pass defense, you know, really struggled to uh, stop the Memphis offense, whereas the Penn State rush defense did a great job. Yeah, just more of the same from them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's basically our winners and losers, you know. Big victory by Penn State, 53-39, but a lot of great individual performances and some, you know, not-so-great performances, but there's also some, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes details that need to be touched on for 
that part of it. Uh, so moving on, the obviously the big news from Saturday was the Penn State victory, but then throughout the week was the announcement of the hiring of Kurt Soraka, who is going to be the new Penn State office coordinator. Soraka coached at Minnesota this year. Penn State fans know how that game went. The Minnesota <laughs> offense was amazing that game. You know, Tanner Morgan had a huge game, a career day, the Minnesota quarterback, and a lot of that was from, you know, the play calling of Soraka, who's also the quarterback's coach at Minnesota at the time. And he has a very, very good resume, and he's been in the Northeast a lot. Um, he played at Temple, so obviously in Philadelphia, and then became a graduate assistant. He's been at uh, Western Connecticut State, Delaware Valley, which is a Division three in Pennsylvania, Western Connecticut State again, Princeton in New Jersey, Penn, obviously in Philadelphia, Delaware, Rutgers, Richmond, Delaware again, Western Michigan, Minnesota. So he branched out a little bit um, in recent years, but he's been all over the Northeast, probably has a lot of really good recruiting ties, and I thought it was a very good hire from you know James Franklin, the Penn State staff, and we'll see when the halftime of week one comes around and Penn State has either 30 points on the board or three. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of it? Um, I, I really like the hire. I mean, last time we talked in the podcast, we, I was talking about how I would hope to see Ronnie move on somewhere, and he did, yeah. which I'm happy with. So really what I talked about the most that I didn't like about Ronnie was his lack of creativity. And I think this is the perfect hire um, to kind of bring some of that creativity back into the offense. Um, so in that sense, I really, I really like the hire. And as you said, you know, I know he's a PA guy, so it's nice to see him come back home um, and get a job um, at his home school, basically. Yeah. Um, so basically, I think that it's, I think it's a good hire. And if he really works out, um, I know Franklin has had a lot of success, obviously with Joe Moorhead coming in, uh, hiring out of the out of the program Joe Brady yeah I was really hoping that they did um, something out of the program just for that creativity sense Um, and it's nice to see someone like him come back home and you know hopefully if he put if he you know is a good play caller you know he sticks around for a while because maybe this is where he wants to be back in his home state yeah I agree Um, there's two things that I liked about it or one that I really liked about it and one that I found interesting that I may like too um, one thing that I did like is that it's very similar offense to what Moorhead, Ronnie, and Bowen for the bowl game ran, um, where it's RPO, it's going to be spread out wide, we're going to use our playmakers, and basically say, hey, you have to beat our athletes, and we're probably, based on our strength and conditioning team, we're probably the best <laughs> athletes. Um, another thing that I find interesting that I may like is we watched the Minnesota game, and once Minnesota got a lead, they were ground and pound. We're going to run the clock. And James Franklin's talked about it a lot in his press conferences where he's not really concerned about time of possession. He's more concerned with explosive plays. And he thinks those win football games. Um, obviously, I think they're going to still go for that. But some time of possession battles could be won still. And I think that's something that Soraka may bring with him. And I'm intrigued to see if it does happen. Yeah, that's a huge. that should be a huge point of emphasis because as explosive as all those offenses have been the past couple of years... They left. They left a lot of games on the table because of their inability to run the clock down. Yes. Um, so it's nice to see that there's a guy that we're bringing in that knows how to do that. He can do. I guess he can do both. Where right. he can have the explosive plays, which we saw time and time again for yeah. Minnesota. But also, you know, we have a lead in the fourth quarter. 
Let's slow the game down. Let's right. give our defense a break in case they do have to come back on the field and they can be fresh as can be and, you know, come out with a victory that way. Uh, one thing I liked also looking at his resume, looking at his time at Delaware, he brought in Pitt transfer Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco became a first-round quarterback at Delaware, which FCS, small school, right. but Flacco became a, an NFL first-round draft pick based off his success with Soraka and working with him. And then also, Soraka was the wide receivers coach at Rutgers for a bit when Kenny Britt was there, and Kenny Britt became a first-round pick, which first-round pick out of Rutgers is you know no easy task. Right. And it speaks to you know some of the development skills that Soraka has as a not only as a coordinator but also as a position coach. And it's looking like he will be the QB coach. So it'll be interesting to see how Clifford continues to develop and also the backup because Levis is a redshirt freshman. The um, two other quarterbacks that are behind Levis. They were true freshmen this year. Right. And then obviously we try to bring in one per class um, this year. It's Micah Bowen from Nevada. So, um, you know, every year we try to get a new quarterback in. That way we're continuing to develop, and we always have one at least um, in each class. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes out. We'll see more in the spring uh, for the blue-white game, and then obviously we'll hear more from developing in the summer and see what we like. So good hire by Penn State, in my opinion, and kind of take away from a conference uh you know, opponent. So that's kind of good too, I guess. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a that the thing that I love about that most is that it's a lateral move for him, which means he took he left the offensive coordinator position at Minnesota and took the better position at Penn State. So, yeah, um, that's always good to see. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of that. Like you said, um, some fans wanted Joe Brady, and they probably really really wanted him after the LSU. <sighs> Shellacking of Oklahoma on Saturday after the Cotton Bowl, but you know I thought it was a pretty good hire overall. I'm very pleased with it. Yeah, that was that was probably a pipe dream, but uh, I <laughs> yeah. think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Franklin reached out to him at least once. You know, just, just yeah, just kick the tires it, on. Yeah, like you know what you know what what do you got to lose? You know, a former grad assistant. You know why why not give him a call and see mm-hmm. if he might be interested? So I, I think obviously everyone, well. Not everyone, but a lot of people really wanted him to come back yeah. to Penn State as offensive coordinator, but uh, just wasn't in the cards. But I, I have faith that Franklin uh, kicked the tires, as you said, on that one. All right. And one other thing we're we're waiting on here from the Penn State side of things is if K.J. Hamler is going to declare for the NFL draft. Basically, everybody else has either declared, like Etor Gross Matos, or you know, declare that they're coming back, um, like Pat Fryermuth. Michael Mennett from the offensive line, Will Fries, um, who obviously should come back after his game on Saturday. <laughs> um, God, that was pretty harsh. <laughs> but, oh, wow. but uh, you know, uh, we're just waiting on Hamler. He's he's the the big, big one left. Um, there's been some reports about Shaka Tony maybe declaring, but we'll see about that as well. But KJ Hammer's the big one. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think he's coming back, or do you think he's going to go pro? See, I think this falls into the area of where whether you're ready or not. And I think that there's a lot of guys that have come out of Penn State that just have not been ready. Um, you know, got names like Deion Barnes and uh, Sharif Miller. You know, mm-hmm. the jury's still out on Sharif Miller, but I think that he's definitely left early. Um, but I think that this kind of falls into that same category because 
not that he is obviously he's a really good player and he's a really big part of the Penn State offense, big, really explosive, fast guy. Um, but I don't think that that his size translates well that well to the NFL. You know, in certain aspects it does. Um, but a guy like him could really benefit for from another year in college. I think. See, I think Hamler's skill set allows him to be a, a really good NFL draft pick. His speed is obviously off the charts. He has really, really good hands. Um, in NFL teams, they can find a way to use him. He doesn't have that prototypical size that some teams would want, especially from an outside receiver. But I think Hamler has all the tools that you need, the speed, the hands, and the route running, and the ability to make people miss. But I think I would like to see him come back for his sake because this is one of the best wide receiver classes that we've seen. You know, people talk about the legendary class with Odell Beckham and Mike Evans and Sammy Watkins, and that was a really, really good class. But some people think this class can be better. You look at the two headliners of the class, Jerry Judy from Alabama, C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, and that's just the start of it. And then you have a bunch of those receivers from Alabama. You have a good amount of receivers that have had great seasons at LSU. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think... Even if Hamler is, you know, say, the fifth best receiver in next year's class, what's wrong with that? Because I think he's a really good receiver, but he might be like 10th, 12th best in this class. And it's not to discredit him, it's just there's a lot of other guys that, you know, maybe they're six foot three and maybe just a step behind Hamler. Or maybe they're like Jerry Judy and just an incredible receiver. Like Lamb, he's just an incredible receiver where he seems to come down with everything and then turn that into a big gain. Um, I think Hamler should come back for his sake just because I think it would help him next year and get picked a little bit higher as opposed to this year where he might you know, fall through the cracks a little bit because of how deep this wide receiver NFL draft class is. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about like NFL teams could definitely um, figure out ways to use him, but I still think that there's a lot of teams out there that would still rather take the, the taller, more prototypical wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's why I think like his size kind of plays against him, in the sense that you know he might be ranked you know way behind those wide receivers that those bigger wide receivers. Um, so I, I I still think that he just doesn't like he doesn't grade out high enough for me, for him to like to warrant to go to the NFL just yet. Okay, that's you know that's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, that's always been his um, I guess Achilles heel, where he has everything else and just the the size. And that's why we, we don't like when we throw jump balls to him in the end zone yeah. <laughs> and things like that. It's it's good to get him out in space, and that's something that he needs from an NFL offense. So we'll be seeing what decision he makes in the next coming days. Hopefully he makes it pretty soon so that Penn State fans can calm their nerves a little bit, um, especially you, you watch the rest of the game on Saturday. and it, Daniel George didn't have an inspiring effort. Jahan Dotson had you know a couple big plays, but then, you know, other than that, it's like, all right, we have to really rely on firing with the tight end, and then we have to have somebody emerge next year, whether it's a red shirt or somebody right. that's behind on the depth chart, or we have five freshmen coming in next year at wide receiver um, based on you know the early signing day period. So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully um, Hamler comes back, and it'll be a huge boost for the Penn State offense and another year for Sean Clifford to target him on those deep balls. So we'll see what happens. you have anything else you want to add, Brandon? One more thing. I want to, but right before the year ends here, I want to give a shout out to all 
the fans uh, on our page. We posted a graphic the other day. Um, we had a record year in views and visits to our website, so very happy with uh, all the people that tuned in with us, and uh, we look forward to continuing to, to grow with everyone. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, our, we're, we're doing this as kind of a, you know, a, I guess a hobby. Um, you know, we don't get much money from it, if at all. We, we just do this on our free time, and we do it, you know, because Penn State fans are very passionate, and we're, we find ourselves to be very passionate as well. And we like to share those passions with our fans, and we have a great time interacting with people. Even if you know we have disagreements on our Facebook and our Twitter, it's all in you know just passion. It's all in passion. We we love Penn State football, and we know you guys do too. Um, we had over fifty thousand views. We had thirty eight over thirty eight thousand new visitors on our page and our um, on our website, which is outstanding. We we thank you guys very much. Um, we had a ton of fun doing it. We're looking forward to doing it a lot more in 2020. And, you know, we're really expecting 2020 to be a special year. And hopefully Penn State, you know, gets to the mountaintop once again. So we, we do thank you very much. We, we really appreciate that from you guys. So that's our show for today. And it's our last one for 2019. We hope everybody had a happy holiday. And we hope everybody has a happy new year and ringing in 2020 in a very, very good way. Make sure everybody stays safe. Um, thank you very much for listening. Have a good one.